I thought that, you know, we were pretty diligent here. You were so well behaved the last eight weeks or however many weeks it was having to sort of sit there in silence and, you know, until ten past ten or so with the subject matter that we've had. So I thought we'd definitely have something, uh, you know, get back to some interaction this week and get your thoughts and your involvement as well. Uh, I want to talk about the doctrine of perseverance this morning. Um, it's especially helpful, I think, in light of a number of things. What we see going on uh, in our own body with people that are uh, undergoing significant illness, uh, also with uh, some of the things that are going on in the culture. Um, the subtleties of uh, some of the cultural shifts that can make their way into the church, they don't just affect church life, they really affect the purpose for which God redeemed us and has us and how that will affect our day-to-day walk. And so I think it's a very important sort of I was thinking about some of the things I was going back through some years ago, many years ago, and Randy, you'll probably remember this. <coughs> I was I worked on rewriting a series of booklets at the church I was in on basic sort of doctrines of the faith, discipleship series of booklets, and this one is perseverance. And um, little picture of some guy here crossing the finish line. His running number is one one one. I'll let you do the math on that one, the theological math. And uh, so I was thinking about something that we could cover for a week or two and. I think next week probably we're going to have we're going to have a panel up here of, of of we who are taking a certain class on Tuesday nights because I want to share with you what that's about. Uh, so I think it's next week will be myself, Christy, and uh, the Capreras and Tony. So Julian, Rob, uh, and that will be a sort of panel up here, just sort of sharing some things with you that have taken place, um, uh, some touchy feely things that go along with our theology. If our theology is good, our touchy-feeliness will be very touchy and feely, I think, and it'll be good. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, we can be so, you know, our emotions, are supposed, our, our whole involvement of who we are is supposed to be so wrapped up in God, you know? And I don't mean supposed to be like we're doing something wrong if it's not, although we're doing something wrong if it's not. But, uh, you know, we should be... Uh, <laughs> just immersed in God in our mind and in our emotions and uh, of course in our spirit so that you know we're not you know doctrine isn't just you know subject matter doctrine is life matter right I mean doctrine is life matter if we're doctrinally sound then that means we're we're humanly sound to be to be human truly human is to be fully indoctrinated in Christ and, and again that's not just knowledge because uh, if it is just knowledge, as we'll see at some point in the study here, that's 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 useless too. Um, I just want to quote J.C. Ryle too. I had this in the beginning of each of the booklets. I think we had ten or twelve of them. You remember the discipleship program, Randy, many moons ago? Um, this is a quote from J.C. Ryle. He that desires to read his Bible with profit must first ask the Lord Jesus to open the eyes of his understanding by the Holy Ghost. Human commentaries are useful in their way. The help of good and learned men is not to be despised. But there is no commentary to be compared with the teaching of Christ. A humble and prayerful spirit will find a thousand things in the Bible which the proud, self-conceited student will utterly fail to discern. Mm -hmm. I I always like that quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got all kinds of commentaries at home, and maybe you do too. But I'll tell you, there are things that I find that I've been able to learn that that God wants me to know and understand. There's something about learning that comes to you directly from God as opposed to learning it from somebody else. Even, you know, you've had those times where you think you're the first person that's ever had a particular idea. Have you ever had that experience? You think you discover it and you're like, wow, I discovered something amazing here. I can't, you know, I want to share it with someone. It's like old news, you know. It's like there's nothing new under the sun. But there's something about that thrill of discovering something that you didn't have to discover you know, third person, so to speak. The truth that you find in Scripture. Um, I had that happen to me a little bit this morning, and maybe I'll get to share that. It was something I was going to go to a commentary for, and I said, just just read and think about this a little bit. Before you go whipping open the commentary, and some of it's exciting, because you want to know, all right, what does this mean? This is, it's confused me for a while. I want to know what it means. Just stand back, take a breather, and think about it. Think about it on the way to work or whatever. Okay, so... John MacArthur said, God has not predestined us to the beginning of our salvation, but to the end of our salvation. Good quote. What does it mean to be saved? I think we have to, I don't know, we might have to reinvent the word. 
we may have to come up with something new in the culture. I think that the average person now, if we ask him, are you saved, has no clue where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. We need a paradigm shift mm-hmm. in the way that we think and approach the lost. We have to stop talking about being saved. Okay? Maybe another <coughs> class we'll have. Stop talking about being saved. doesn't mean anything to anybody. You've got to get some common ground for us. You've got to find some way to start. Or maybe actually you could say it and if someone's curious, they might say, what are you talking about? What does that mean, saved? And then you can have a conversation. But being saved is almost like an in-house word. You know, it's almost like a, a pet name you have for somebody in your family that you, you know, you don't really say to anyone outside the family because people wouldn't know who you're talking about. Right? So, um, I just think that, but, but let's ask that question first because every other doctrine, every other truth follows on what the reality of salvation is, okay? So, everything follows from that, including, of course, perseverance, which we'll talk about this morning. So, I guess let me just throw that question out there. Somebody answer. Somebody would ask you, and you're a Christian, they would say to you, you Christians are always talking about being saved. What are you talking about? What does that mean? What are you talking about when you talk about being saved? Mm. Yeah, Tony, I had a feeling you might have something to say. <laughs> no, no, because you you think about the stuff. It's a good thing. <laughs> well, one of the things, I, when you look at just the word saved, to me it seems like a final thing. I'm saved, bam, done. That's a good point. And a lot of times, and, and Gary has brought it up, we, we have this little saying that we are being saved, mm-hmm. we will be saved. Yep. And so you can tell that it's an ongoing thing. Yep. And so I kind of agree that this word saved doesn't, isn't appropriate to the condition that will last between a time that we found out mm. and then forever. Mm. Yep. In 1971, I went to uh, my first exposure to born-again Christianity, uh-huh. one of the fellows there used the word saved in conversation with me, uh-huh. and I was totally lost what he meant by the word saved. Yep. And that was 45 years ago. Mm-hmm. More yeah. Than that. Yeah, it really is. A, it really is a sort of family word, isn't it? It's a family. Yes, Sue. I think it, it just leaves off so much. Yeah, it does leave off a lot. They stay from what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so maybe that's a good starting point. You know, maybe you know somebody that's smart would ask, "Well, what do you talk about? Saved? Saved from what? Wow, what an opportunity that is!" You know. So. Yeah. So I just, as I was preparing this study, and I was thinking about how, again, how every other sort of doctrine in high standard, we're talking about perseverance this morning. Um, uh, how every doctrine flows from what it truly means to what saved really means. What's going on in the whole? What's what's saved about? You know, what is recon- What is salvation and all this kind of thing? And yes, Mark. I think even the term "born again" uh, oh, yeah. has has been uh, not used well, so that people get as, uh, an odd idea. But really, what it term I like to refer to is born from above, mm-hmm. which means something that has happened to me rather than me doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's because it's, it, I think the idea, especially if you look back over the many years of uh, mm-hmm. things like Billy Graham crusades, mm-hmm. it was something people did and said, oh yeah, I did that once and that was yeah. it, I'm all set, mm-hmm. no problem. Yeah. Um, it's, it's introduced a, an idea that's hard to overcome. Yeah. Uh, you talk to people that are Christian, they say they're Christian, and you kind of mm-hmm. wonder are they Christians? Like I understand that, mm-hmm. or are they just in Christendom? We were having that conversation uh, with some people from that foreign country that we have in you know, down south there called Texas. You know, <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's kind of like the culture down there, yeah. and it's it's difficult to introduce the idea of. I guess there's more to it than what they. Understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard someone, you know, I've heard that phrase, oh, you're one of them born-againers. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean anything to them. It's just something to mock, you know. Yeah. So, as we talk about perseverance, it's good to know first and foremost what it is. And we know what it is to be saved, and it's almost hard to just sort of put it in a sentence, because it's, I mean, God, uh, God used, you know, however many authors over the course of 66 books to, to show us what it is he's been doing, since he's been doing everything that he's been doing. In contrast that to that, though, the evangelical church is somewhat almost made redundant. And I, I love doctrine, but um, skipping past the being saved yeah. into a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. 
without the necessity of salvation that yeah. has to first accompany that. Yeah. So therefore, now you have a lot of unpeople, unsaved people. I like unpeople better. Need to be saved, <laughs> trying to have a relationship. I really do. Until we're in Christ, we're unpeople. <clears throat> what God intended a person to be. Um, what God intended a person to be is what a person growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ is being conformed to His image. That's what God intended a human to be. So yeah, I, I like that much better. We have to. We're working on getting people peopled, moving from being unpeopled to peopled. That'd be a good book. We'll write it together. Wow. <laughs> I think I'm going to need Kim next to us, yeah. kind of like being the arbiter there or something. Okay. Well, this is basically what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that the redeemed of God, justified freely by faith in Christ Jesus alone, shall persevere in that faith until the return of the Lord Jesus. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, sometimes referred to as what some of the other names we have for perseverance. What's the old Billy Graham era? You want to talk about from the old Billy Graham era? What's a, give me a real good sort of, uh, and this is not to pick on our dear Armenian friends, but give me a, give me a real good Armenian translation of eternal of perseverance. Yes, who said that? Good, good, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a, or, or actually, I shouldn't just say that because I, I work with a Pentecostal uh, brother. And uh, he's like, so you guys believe in once saved, always saved? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I do. Just, just chill out. All right, I'm, I'm there. Um, in spite of adversity, various and certain trials, struggle against sin, those who are in Christ will continue in their faith to the end, kept by the power of God, not by any virtue of their own. And so I wanted to take a look at some sort of categories of thought to help us in terms of understanding this. And the first one, of course, is God's plan. That from eternity God has purposed that His people would endure to the end. Okay? So whatever God was doing, He was doing it. What He had in mind was this is going to be an enduring, this is going to be a lasting thing. And, and these verses will help us. So I'm going to have people go through some Scripture now. We've got a lot of Scripture to dig through. So I'm going to get that glorious sound of Bible pages turning. <coughs> John 6, 38-40. And while I go there, I will ask someone named Shannon to go to 1 Samuel 12, 22. And uh, Psalm 23, 3. Thank you, Joycelyn. Appreciate that. Um, and then John 10, 10. Tony, if you would take John 10, 10. And if you could read 2 Timothy 4, 18. Okay, so first John 6... 38 to 40. Very powerful verse here. And uh, again, as we go through this, think about what this doctrine means, how it inter interplays with the overall salvation anyway, but what it means to all the other particulars of our life. And again, the purpose of this study is to give us continued, we need continued fresh hope always. We need continued fresh understanding. We need to always know what it is that God is doing. It's one thing I've discovered lately, lately in some of the things that I've been studying and doing is how often we need to return, how often the gospel is for the Christian first and foremost before it's for the lost. Um, because we know what it means every day. 6.38 to 40. I have not come down from heaven, Jesus talking particularly to the Pharisees, but to all the people. I have, not come down, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Okay, so we'll talk about the Father's will here. And this is the will of Him who sent me. Or this is the Father's will. That of all He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. What is this telling us? What is this saying to us? You think about this, you meditate upon this, how might this sort of really be a comfort to yourself or to somebody else? I mean, it says what it says very plainly, right? But what does this tell us about what's going on in salvation? It's a very powerful verse to talk with those. And when I suggest that we have discussions with, you know, those that are not sort of five-point Calvinists, okay? Uh, and I don't want to overplay that term. But we all understand it well enough to know, or most of us do, the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, Arminianism and those main differences. Um, it's a very powerful verse. Because 
John 3.16 is the verse that we all love, but that's also the verse that the Arminians focus on. Whosoever believes. Okay? And as corny as the question is, we need to ask, well, who are the whosoevers? And John 6.38-40 gives us that. All those that the Father has given me. Okay? will come to me. And all those are coming. He said, I will raise up on the last day. I won't lose anything. Okay? So, this is God's plan. This is God's plan that of everything that God has given the Son. Keep this in mind now and you see what's going on in the background of salvation so that we're always focused on this being a God-centered thing and not a man-centered thing. If we understand things the way they should be, it affects everything from the way we pray to the way we play worship music. Okay? From praying to music playing and singing and everything else. I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Anything controversial about this verse at all? Is there anything about this that we are misunderstanding when we talk? I don't think there is, but I'll ask. I don't know how else this can be construed. This is a very clear and obvious verse and it would have real particular meaning, I think, uh, at that time, but should have just as much now. But if there's anything controversial about that or anything that you find questionable, then by all means, because... Just because we're in a church that teaches the doctrines of grace soundly and live it, don't ever be afraid that you're the one that doesn't understand it and you just live with it and you know you kind of silently walk around with, I don't really understand this and you sort of pretend to celebrate it with other people. We can be free from all that stuff. In this, in this church, we're, we're, free to be, uh, we're free to be right and we're free to be wrong. Uh, okay. Alright, hearing no objections to that, let's go to 1 Samuel 12.22. Whoever's got that, I don't know who I asked, but you do. I got it. Okay. For the Lord will not get, forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. What a great verse, huh? All the way back in Samuel, all the way back in sort of Old Covenant Israel. Okay? And there is obviously continuity in... There's conceptual continuity throughout the Old Covenant and the New Covenant of a God that makes a people for Himself. Okay, so He modeled it in a certain way in Old Covenant Israel and, and, and then the fulfilled... Everything that He was doing with Israel, He fulfills through the church, which includes, of course, both Jew and Gentile. Um, so yeah, for His own... It pleased God. This is for the pleasure of God. God created a people for His pleasure. Isn't that fascinating? You're part of we're part of God's pleasuring. You're part of His pleasure. We're part of His between Father, Son, and Spirit. The whole relationship there. This is their pleasure to have a people for themselves. That should tell us something else about God. Uh, Psalm twenty-three, three. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yeah, huh? For His name's sake. So you think of all these things and what they mean in terms of perseverance and why I'm going to make it to the end so to speak. Why I'm going to endure. Yes, there are warning verses about enduring, but we, before we get those sort of warning verses about enduring, enduring is going to happen for the real Christian. So even those warnings about enduring, God uses in the process of enduring us. You know what I mean? Even those passages that sound a little bit threatening, like, oh, you know, why are we being told to endure if God indeed is doing the work? Because part of the ongoing training and disciplining and growth of a Christian in that process, God uses admonitions and warnings as part of that which He's already got completed in His mind. It's hard for us to get... You know, God's at the finish line <laughs> and God's at, He's also firing the gun off at the beginning to get things going. Well, it just seems to me that <coughs> God realizes what it takes. Mm. <coughs> yes. He doesn't tell us everything. Thank you. Yeah, well, well said, yeah. He's just, he's just doing it. Yep. And we have to, at times, just simply trust that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It, it goes back to you. I don't know why you made me think of this, but I've always liked this illustration of the Karate Kid thing, you know? Where he's you know, being told... That, does he, has anyone not... Yeah, see, look at see, She's got it, right? Does anyone not, anyone not know the Karate Kid? Okay. So the Karate Kid... Is why we ask, right? Ralph Macchio when he was a kid, and and the guy that was uh, the guy, his trainer, his his sort of uh, the sort of the karate master, the sensei that he sort of worked with was the um, 
was the Asian gentleman that also I think was the first wasn't he in Happy Days didn't he own the diner okay so anyway this kid wants to learn this, wants to learn karate and so he thought he's just going to go learn all these great moves and be able to fight and everything well he ends up painting a fence for days you know he ends up waxing the car and doing all these things well, what's happening to all these movements that he's learning he has to learn before the teacher even begins to incorporate those in self-defense or attack so that the motions are already second nature, so to speak. Right? And so, you know, when it comes time to block a move or block a hit coming at him, he's already been waxing cars for a couple of weeks, you know what I mean? So he's ready with this sort of block a move. So God does that with us, which is what you made me think of. Yeah, he does stuff that we don't even understand, but he is doing that to us in a lot of ways. So, yeah, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Well, doesn't that put things where they belong? Jonathan? That's what I was going to say about kind of talking about, you know, he, he blasts the starting gun, but it's also at the, at the finish line. Like, that's why I love the word predestination yeah. you're talking about even in Ephesians 1 13 or yep. know, he predestined us before the foundation yes. of the world yep. where that Greek word predestined is horizon where we get horizon oh cool and so did not know that and so when you're talking about the horizon you're looking into the distance in the horizon so mm. when, you, when you talk about predestination it's not just oh well God chose me and it's all just kind of gray no God chose me but the, the end game is what's in the horizon, what's yep. at the finish line. Yep. And so that predestination is, is, is powerful. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, John 10.10. 10. Did I give that to anyone? Did we get there? Sorry. Um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yep. So, again, think about this in terms of perseverance. How, if we don't ever really know for certain... If 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 if, we're, if it's if it's normal that we should not know, if it's normal that we're going to make it to the end, how can we possibly have an abundant life? How could we possibly have an abundant life if we're living a life of constant question and doubt and not wondering, you know? And if there was no guarantee in Scripture that yeah you're going to persevere to the end, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know how God's going to do that. I then you'd realize <coughs> that we are above all men to be pitied. Mm. And you know, live for today. Then, yeah, sure. If you come to that realization, yeah, it, it, it obviously be false. Mm-hmm. But if you think you've come to that realization, then go for it. You mm-hmm. know, just do what you want to do. Yep. Yep. Tony, I, I see the contrast in the verse too. This, yes. In one sense, um, something is being taken away, or killed, or finished, and the other thing is giving mm. and, and having it never end. Yeah. And so you get a sense that there's two different types of people that um, that are talked about. Yeah, it makes you well. it makes you should, you know can can cause us to think about the giver and, and what it exactly it is that he's given. You know, I mean to a to <laughs> to an audience to the initial audience that Jesus was addressing when he said this. You know, the abundant life was probably not a real. It's nothing like we hear about now. You know, I don't. I don't know if they had prosperity teachers back then. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of prosperous people around. You know, it's real easy to pre- be a prosperity preacher when there's a lot of prosperity to be had. But there wasn't a lot of prosperity to be had in those days. Okay, uh, some of the very means by which people get prosperous are the same reasons for which they were crucified back in that day. So today's prosperity, which you know is again can be can be achieved by all kinds of means that are questionable and immoral um, had crucifixions sitting at the end of it for those. So, but not only that but just the average person I mean, this was a hard working agricultural well, we're so far removed from that culture we really have uh, nothing in common with them in terms of you know what we saw every day our, uh, certainly our nature is exactly what theirs was 2 Timothy 4.18 and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and persevere me Preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Mm-hmm. And be glory forever and ever. That's an amazing verse. Do we believe that? This is, the, this is the other thing we have to ask when we go through these things. Is, do I believe this? Do I believe this? And if not, you got to get at why. You know, what's causing sort of unbelief in that? He will preserve me from every evil and deliver me to his heavenly kingdom. This is Second Timothy. Okay? Paul is about three blocks from the sword at this point. 
Alright, he's about to be beheaded and he knows it. I don't know if he I don't know at that point if he knew he would be beheaded or if he was expecting something else, but he's 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 approaching the end here. Yes. And um I think the evil that he wanted to be delivered from huh? was from denying the Lord. Mm-hmm. Very good. Like demons forsook him, yep. having loved this present life. Mm-hmm. He wanted to live, whereas Paul was willing to die if it meant taking a stand for the Lord. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, that it's very much in keeping with the whole idea, the whole doctrine, the whole promise of perseverance. It's to be kept from the evil of falling away. To be kept from the evil of... of uh, you know, thinking that we could do it on our own should give us every reason to doubt our salvation. Mm. Right? The mm. greatest, I think the single greatest cause for those that doubt salvation is that <coughs> grace has not yet filleted them of all that foolishness. Right? That we can somehow do it for ourselves. And so, let's take a look then at God's faithfulness. We've seen God's plan. Let's look at God's faithfulness. So, faith is that gift from God that enables us to believe. Uh, the saving faith is enduring faith by design. Saving faith is enduring faith. Okay, Genuine faith is enduring faith. That's one of the qualities of, of, of genuine faith. It is that which endures. Yet, our faithfulness to God and His Word is imperfect as we struggle with sin in our humanity. Uh, but the following passages that we'll go through here give us some encouragement from God's holy word uh, that it's truly His faithfulness that causes us to endure to the end. Now, the first verse I have here, I'm going to read, but let me assign uh, or ask if someone would take Hebrews 10.23. Mark, take Hebrews 10.23. Seth, would you take John 14.2-3? You have uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9. Mark. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Randy? And then 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. And I'll call on my friend Shannon again. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. So I'm going to go to the first one that I mentioned. 2 Timothy 2, 13. And tell you that this should be purged from... Well, should possibly be purged from this booklet because I, as time has gone on, I've come to, I think, understand this passage the way it was truly intended. And it's one of those verses that I think a lot of Christians unfortunately have misunderstood and trip over. Second Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Now, I've heard this used as you know, this is one of those things that God will preserve us to the end because even if we're faithless, He's faithful. And I don't think it means that at all. This is not... A, I mean, you think about that for a minute. You go back it up a minute. If we endure, we will also reign. Now we go to verse... If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithful, He remains... If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So let's use that Bible sort of tactic I shared with you once from someone else. Let's, let's read into what we think we means. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. If we have absolutely no faith, that's okay. He's going to be faithful and save us anyway. It can't mean that. This verse is not a verse that should give us any comfort for thinking if you're faithless, that's alright, don't worry, God's got this. Okay? First of all, it's not what the, talk, the context calls for. That's not what it says. All you have to do is look at the prior verse, in fact. If we deny Him, He'll, he'll deny us. It's just another way of saying the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing here about a promise of God. This does not belong in the repertoire of verses that show us that God will save us despite ourselves. Although that's you know true to some extent. But this verse doesn't teach that. Do I have a disagreement from you, brother? No, I just wanted to throw in another verse wondering if you think this would be a parallel to that verse where Jesus says, He that can, uh, denies me before men, him will I also deny yeah. before my Father which is in heaven. And he angels, yes. In Matthew chapter 10, verse yeah. 33. Definitely verse parallel four. verse. Whoever confesses me before men, yep. him will I also confess yeah. before my Father. And this is part of, by the way, it's interesting that Paul says it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we'll also live with Him. If we endure, we'll also reign. If we deny, we'll also deny us. If we're faithless, He cannot. He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. This was probably an early hymn of some kind that they sang. But uh, on the other hand, it does belong in this book because it does talk about the character of God. 
and his faithfulness, which is what we're ultimately concerned with, because it's his faithfulness that brings us home to his heavenly kingdom in its fullness. And it's, his, it's his invitation, it's his taxi, it's his everything that gets us from the invitation to show up at the, at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, right? But, it, but let's not use that verse, let's not confuse that in some way as to suggest that, hey, we can be faithless, that's alright, God's faithful. What it means in context, if you read this whole chapter, is if we're, if we're faithless, God's going to remain faithful to Himself. He's going to condemn sin. He's going to do some of the things that we see in here. And He has something to say about false teachers and He has something to say about persevering, Tony. One statement I made to um, someone who had claimed to be an atheist was um, whether or not you believe uh-huh. in God does, does or does not affect the reality that He exists. Yeah. And anyone that is confronted with that statement, I guess, would have to think about it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm insignificant on the fact of whether or not God exists. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I can believe it or not, that doesn't change Yeah, belief is. doesn't change anything. Uh, uh, belief doesn't alter reality, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Belief doesn't define reality. So, yeah. Uh, okay, Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful yeah yeah but it's a good reason to hold on to God's promises because he's faithful we can make promises that even if we fully intend to keep them we can make promises that we can't keep because we're not sovereign something else intervenes and interferes and we, we can't always keep the promises that we're going to say that we're going to keep but we be careful not to make promises I guess uh, they may be well intentioned but uh, and there is a, I suppose there is a range of things in which we can make a promise and keep. All right? Um, but then there are some things that we can't. I mean, you have to be very careful what you promise your children, what you promise your co-workers, what you promise you know, your husband or wife. Uh, because things can intervene. And it's hard to explain to a six-year-old or a four-year-old or an eight-year-old even. That, yeah, I know I promised you that. And to your child, that meant it, basically it's going to happen. Right? Pinky promise. It's going to happen. Problem is sometimes someone cuts off the pinky between there and the fulfillment of the promise. It can't come to pass. So God's faithful, and His promises are faithful. His promises are as good as Him. His promises are they, they proceed from His character, from God's character. Seth, First John four two and three. No, I'm sorry, John fourteen two and three. Sorry, I was ahead of myself. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Mm-hmm. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Yeah. I like that old song, you know, I've got a mansion over the hilltop, but that totally turns a, a precious verse and promise into something for me, you know what I mean? Uh, it is kind of a happy song to sing, though. But, yeah, so... And Jesus says this in the context, obviously, of Jewish um, Jewish betrothal and marriage, where the husband's going to go off and prepare a room, initially at least, at the father's house, and he's going to come back, get his bride, and bring her there. That's how they did it in that day, until they had a house of their own. Um, thank God we don't have to do that. Some of us probably wouldn't want our daughter or son-in-law moving in with us. So we put that verse up on the wall. A man's enemies will be his own household. (laughs) Mother-in-law will be set against her daughter-in-law. Family arguments are too easy now, aren't they? But as I often say, if it weren't for families, there'd be peace on earth. So, so this is a good verse, though. That he has prepared a place. He's prepared a place. This is fascinating, isn't it? Yes. I prepared a place for you. He's not even he's not he's not dead and resurrected yet. He's not died yet, he's not been risen, but he's gone and he's 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 going to prepare a place. He knows that's going to happen. That's another way that Jesus could face his sufferings. Jesus knew, of course, that he would persevere also until the end. And look at some of the things he struggled with. Or not struggle with, but experienced, right? First Corinthians one nine. Mm. He's faithful. He's the one that called us into fellowship with His Son. He's going to be faithful to do that, to keep us. Because, again, keeping in mind, God's got something in mind, something much bigger than you and I. He's got the church in mind. He's got us as individuals. I mean, certainly Christ died for me. So we need to think corporately and individually 
But God is faithful who called you into the fellowship of the Son. These are meditation verses. These are verses we can meditate upon. God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship of His Son. Wow. Think about where you were and what some of, some of us were. Such, you know, that's why Paul says, and such for some of you. Think of, I, I like to do this sometimes, well, whether it's a, a very a present a thought that, or whatever that I'd rather not have, or if it's something wicked I can think of in the past. And I like, to, I like to juxtapose, I like to put those two side by each. Some of my old Greek friends would say down in the southern part of Worcester, side by each. On uh, this, this sort of, uh, you get this evil, evil deed, this evil action, this self-centered, this self-absorbed, this whatever, and over here you get this faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of the Son, you know? And how that calling was, it was very powerful. It was a, praise God for that. It was His call. It's Jesus' promise. It's His call. It's, 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 uh, it's our hope. It's His faithfulness. And it's also, we can, we can think about being preserved blameless. First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Whoever, Brother Randy. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it back. Man, that's an amazing verse, right? To be, to be preserved blameless at His coming, uh, because the first part of that, you know, you got it's interesting. You have you have Paul praying, you know, given this sort of benediction, but it's, it's a sense of prayer. It's a sense of you know appealing to God to do a certain something. May He preserve you, keep you blameless at His coming. And then it's like the immediate answer to the prayer is given. He was faithful. You know, he, he he's going to bring it to pass. The one who called you is going to bring it to pass. And we'll, we'll talk about this more because it'll probably go, maybe go beyond this week. Well, maybe not. Um, that doesn't make us sort of lazy and un, un, unattentive. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.3. 3. Did I ask someone to take that? I call this God on guard. <laughs> but the Lord is faithful. Mm. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Mm. And so what, what role does the evil one have in our life? Talk very, very, very personally. It's just so we, we we can probably talk about what role has the evil one? What role is the evil one playing in your life today? Yes, he is playing a role. Yeah, he's definitely called the tempter, isn't he? Right in, in places. What else is he called? In your, so you know you have you don't, don't share with us what it is because I don't want to get to your mind. All right, but there are things that the devil is doing. In, He's either tempting you or he's, he's, he's reinforcing your temptation. You know what I mean? He knows, he knows what you like, so to speak. He's also called the accuser of the brethren. Yeah, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So, in what way do you find yourself being accused before the brethren? Alright? Um, somebody, somebody recently shared with me this thing <coughs> saying, I, 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 feel, I always feel like I'm the criminal in the room. Okay? That's accusation. That's, that's the accuser of the brethren doing that. So that's, that's impactful as well. Right? So that's an impact in your daily life. I don't understand how and I don't understand why the devil has access to our cognitive faculties in the way that he does. Uh, male or female, lustful thoughts, you know, temptations to be angry and critical, all these things are a potential place for the enemy to sort of be around. Okay? And so I, I, I do think that. But now that this verse we just said says God will keep us from the evil one. He'll guard us. It's by His power. Wow. And so, I want to be careful not to turn this into just my fight against the enemy, so to speak. Because it's not. I've already failed that a million times. I've got all the evidence I need that I fail that every time. So this becomes something of meditation. Something you can be aware of beforehand. Which sort of leads me to this next sort of category, which is to talk about God's strength. God's strength. The Apostle Paul was willing to suffer all things that he may know the power of the resurrection. Philippians 3. He's willing to suffer all things so that he may know the power of the resurrection. 
And that's the very power that will keep us to the end. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that power which keeps us until the end. Mm. And so we need to think about what kind of power does it take not only to raise the dead, but to keep Jesus' body from seeing corruption. I mean, if I understand that correctly, the 50 pounds of spices and ointment and everything else that the Jews putting on Jesus, he didn't need. Jesus did not decay at all, I don't think. That's safe to say, brother? You with me on that? I don't think his body... I mean, it's, there are things that happen on death. I mean, within a certain number of hours, things start to happen. But... Unless that verse, you know, where David says it, the court in Acts, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption, just means the ultimate sort of. But I, I, don't, I think Jesus just didn't even decay at all. You know, I, when that stone was rolled away by the angel, there was no stench coming out of that coffin. It was the aroma of life in there. So, it, but, you know, having said that, uh, the power of the resurrection, so that which was able to keep Jesus from death, but, but literally raised him from the dead, that power. That power which defeated death and secured for us eternal life is the power that also keeps us to the end. And here's some scripture that tells us that. So, um, I'll take the first one, John 10, 28-30. I need 1 Peter 1, 23, Todd. I need Jude 24. Uh, who's going to do Jude 24? I don't know who I haven't called on yet. All right. And Romans 8, 32 Sandy? Do that one? Sure. Little Miss Birthday Gal back there? Yeah, that's right. We heard about that. Oh. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> and we know that we don't we would never ask how old are you because that's rude, but we know that you got a visit from a special friend which usually indicates a fairly significant birthday, you know? <laughs> I just leave it there. Twenty five times two. <laughs> this is this is perseverance. Okay. Uh, okay, if you take that one. So, John 10, 28 to 30, right? This is, this is an amazing verse. This is, this is a verse that just about... This is one of the very many, many things that Jesus said that was setting up his death. This is one of those statements. Jesus said this, and uh, some Roman blacksmith somewhere was forging a nail and, uh, that was eventually going to end up in Jesus' wrist because of this. John 10, 20 to 30. It says, uh, I know them and they... My sheep hear my... Go back to 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then verse 20, And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. And the Jews immediately picked up stones to stone him. Wow. That's just saying something. Nowadays you can. We, we have a political, political environment which people carry in a bag of stones around all the time. You know? You just say something and someone wants to stone you to death. You know? But not to, not to diminish what this is. But what an amazing, powerful verse this is. So first of all, this is one of those verses also, of course, because it's so meaningful. Because it's such a powerful verse, it doesn't surprise us that this is one of the verses that some who call themselves Christian would take and turn into an argument for modalism, right? Or the belief that God doesn't exist in three different persons. He's only one God. He's one person, but He kind of shows up in three different ways at different times. Okay? That's called oneness Pentecostalism, and it's a big part of Christianity, so-called. Okay? There's a lot of oneness Pentecostals out there. Okay, so they use this to fill. It says the Father and I are one. All right. Well, Todd and Gary are one in making sure that this church has proper doctrine. You mean Todd and Joyson, don't you? Yeah. No, 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 no. Todd and Gary. <laughs> That's a different kind of one. Todd and Gary are one when it comes to you know making sure that there's effective church discipline, that there's church doctrine is correct, and all those kinds of things. So, I mean, if I were to say Gary and I were one, Todd and Gary are one in that context, you know what you're talking about, okay? There's a context for this. And it's so crystal clear. You know, you don't have to have a PhD in Greek or Hebrew or any of the ancient languages to make very good sense of this. Jesus is saying something very obvious. 
We're in a powerful grip when no one can snatch away from that powerful grip. Right? What's going on? I mean, a little child uh, can, can cannot be... Seth, you make a fist. I mean, Renee isn't getting that open. She's just not. Now, in a couple of years, I'll teach you there's a nerve in between. This <laughs> and this you press really hard, you get the biggest person in the world to open up that hand and cry like a baby. But, you know, they're not going to get that hand open. The devil doesn't have that pressure point. All right? You're not going to get plucked from the Father's hand. You're not going to get plucked from Jesus' hand. The wholeness of God is invested. Right? I've said it before. I'll say it again. God is far more interested in our salvation than we are. Amen. Necessarily, it is that way. Maybe, I mean, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. So it's good to be held in that grip. Right? You, you cross the street with your little one. Now you may if you're out in the backyard walking and holding hands or whatever like that, you know, you but when you go across the street, I don't know about you, but I increase my grip pretty good when I'm crossing the street because she might be inclined to take off at the wrong moment. Right? Aurora might be inclined to just sort of like, Hey, there's her name and she's gone, you know? And it's over. So it's a different, you know, God holds our hand in different ways. So he's got us there. And there's lots of times when traffic is threatening and we have lots of streets to cross, you know, sort of biblically speaking, that are, that are just tough, you know. Uh, they're just tough. And, and we know what some of these are. Lydia, you just crossed the street. You and your family are crossing the street right now. You know what I mean? And you're holding on to those little boys' hands. And so we, we're all in different places. But we know what this experience is. We know what it is to give and receive in this. First Peter one twenty three. Um, but you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. Mm. See, God being the... I, I call this God's the source. That's because the seed is, is His seed. I mean, it's... I mean, you plant a tomato plant, you get a tomato. This is just the law of agriculture at work here. You know? You, you plant an acorn, you get an oak. Alright? This is... Uh, the seed that God put in the ground, so to speak, is certainly going to be. We're going to realize the fullness of sort of that harvest. It's God that put it there in the first place. This is His garden. This is His kingdom. This is about what He's doing. This is about His husbandry. This is about what He's doing. The seed can't boast a whole lot. Right? Nothing beautiful about a seed that we see anyway. It's under the ground buried in dirt. Why don't we start that way and end that way? Who's got Jude 24? Great verse. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Amen. Does anyone have that in the old King Jimmy? I like the old King James on this verse a lot. Does anyone have the King James? Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his coming with exceeding joy. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Remember before the, the presence of his before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's the real one that that, that amazes me. Mm. He's able to present you before the presence of his glory. Interesting it doesn't say the glory of his presence, which of course is significant, but the presence of his glory, right? I mean and this is Jude talking, and Jude has talked in this letter already about some of the old offenders way back in Old Testament time and and so Jude has an appreciation for the Shekinah glory of God, right? He's able to prevent, pre- present you before the presence of His glory. I mean, in the Old Testament, they couldn't even stand in the temple when it was filled with the glory of God. They, they had to sort of get out. They couldn't see. It was like, whoa, the glory of God, get out of the way. You know, not now. He's able to make you stand before the presence of His glory. Not like, you know, not somewhat with exceeding joy. People in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Covenant, they didn't stand before the presence of the glory of God with exceeding joy. You know, and another verse in Galatians says, you have not come before... Well, this is in Hebrews. Right? Finish that for me, someone. Okay, Gary. You have not... You know, in Hebrews, you have not come before... It's talking about the Mount of Smoke and, and all that. Isn't that Hebrews? You have not come to a mountain that might be touched with fire, but you have come unto a mount. Yeah. You have come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, yeah. to an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, and the church of the fourth. Amen. 
How much more do you want? That's good. That's good. That's so good, right? I mean, you think about in the Old Testament, they were terrified to hear the voice of God. You speak to us, Moses. You speak to us. We can't, we can't hear this. He's able to make us, He's able to keep us from falling and present. I, such a great verse. That's become one of my sort of all time favorites. And I, that really became sort of part of my hope when I was in a mission trip to Spain back in 2002. No, back in 2000. And uh, it was like the only verse I've ever memorized in another language. I memorized it in Spanish. And it was like, it just meant that much to me, you know? Um, because. I know who I am. And I know how I am. Uh, okay, Romans 8, 31 to 32. Here's another one. These are medit- Man, these are meditation verses. These are the verses to get you through life. And, and so, yeah, God's going to preserve us. He's going to persevere us. We could also call it the doctrine of eternal preservation. <laughs> God's going to preserve us. Sandy, look what He's done for you now these 32 years. <laughs> about the argument from the greater to the lesser, you know? He, he who spared not his own son. I mean, think about... I mean, we can't even think about that, but he didn't even spare the most precious thing, his only son. He didn't spare that. He didn't spare that. That he freely... De- he delivered him up for us all. How shall he also then with Christ not freely give us all things? No wonder we can say if God is for us, who could be against us? The one that's for me is the one that gave up his own son for me. What's insane? What who you know who can who can I mean to think about that? Who can possibly be against me? I can't even be against me in a sense. Uh, this is a, this is one of those. This is a mind blowing verse. This this is a mind blowing verse, and it, it 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 does us well to memorize verses like this. When someone's threatening, when someone is because, why? Because this is our identity. This is our identity. We're not the person that's oppressed by this person. We're not the person that's angry at this person. We're not... Who are we? This is tied up in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints because that doctrine of perseverance is tied up in salvation and who we are in Christ. This is who I am. Incredible. And now we have the next section I've titled Jesus Christ. Perhaps our greatest comfort is the glorious truth that Jesus Christ, our High Priest, has gone into heaven to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews 9.24 Christ, the Captain of our salvation, has gone before us and intercedes on our behalf before the Father. As we see in some of these verses here. So we have Jesus' prayer in John 17, which, which, uh, which I'll take in a second. Uh, I need someone to take Romans 8.34. Lydia, thank you. And Hebrews 7.25. Uh, April. Okay, so let me let me go over to John 17 for us. And I, I know that we're all familiar with this passage. This is such a perseverance passage, promise, um, power. So in verse 9 we have, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. A grandfather used to teach me when I was young. Anytime you somebody gives you something to hold for a while and lends you something, give it back to them in as good or better condition than when you got it. So if it had a full tank of gas, make sure it's got a full tank of gas. If it had a half tank of gas, make sure it's got a full tank of gas. Okay? If there were spider webs in the dashboard, get rid of the spider web, right? Jesus, okay, who's who is I ask on their behalf. I don't ask. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those that you have given me, for they are yours. So he's asking the Father on behalf of the one that the Father gave him. Mm-hmm. What a pastor prayer that is for the flock, too, huh? And then in verse fifteen, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, Father. I'm not asking you for that. What does it mean to be with Him? So Jesus is willing to wait on that even. And He wants us with Him. 
He does. And He is with us, but He wants us with Him in the final sense. But I don't ask you to take Him out of the world, but that you, you keep Him from the evil one. Because I need Him in the world for now, and I know that you do too, Father. Um, and then in verse 24, same place, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am, so that they may see My glory which You have given Me, for You love Me before the foundation of the world. What? <laughs> this... Smile! You know, it's just like such a smile verse. Are you kidding me? This is such an amazing verse. He wants, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. God's not going to answer that prayer? Jesus never asked the wrong prayer. He never asked for the wrong motive. He never got it wrong. He never misunderstood Scripture. He never misapplied it. He was it. <laughs> right? What an amazing verse. Why? You know what Jesus wants? You know, how will this get us through certain things? Jesus wants us with Him. Why? What does He want for us? He wants us to see the glory which the Father gave Him. Because, you loved, because the Father loved Him before the foundation of the world. How amazing must His glory be that He asks the Father that His people could be with Him so that they could see His glory. The same glory that Jude says that we're going to see with exceeding joy. What a trip. Um, okay, Romans 8.34. We'll, we'll, we'll finish through these last two and we'll probably pick it up again in a couple of weeks. So, who's got that? Romans 8.34? Yeah. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. You know? We, this, this will help us uh, get through personal temptation against sin and struggle. And no matter what it is, no matter what the difficulty is, if Christ is praying for us, Christ is interceding for us, who's going to condemn? Who's our greatest condemner? Well, there's the enemy, right? But who's, who's your greatest condemner? Yourself, right? Right? And above all, we need to know that God can keep us from condemning ourselves because we are God's greatest competition for God. Right? I mean, I, we are. I mean, no one competes with God like ourselves, right? I mean, it's, I don't have to worry about Seth trying to usurp God's authority or Randy trying to act in the place of God. I got a much bigger problem than Seth or Randy, and his name is Pat, right? I am the one that competes with God all the time for sovereignty, as you are in your world and you and yours and you and yours that's right sweet little innocent dot you too what a face I hope I'm still smiling like that if I'm here you know that many more years your face is you've got you've got a Jesus you've got his smile you've got Jesus the smile um, and then Hebrews 7.25 You know, he's able to save completely, or again, as the old King James says, to the uttermost. He's able to save completely because he always intercedes for them. Talk about powerful intercession. So we see, as we'll pick up next time, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and we're going to look at our assurance and we'll look at some questions that flow from this doctrine, practically speaking, you know, um, in addition to just sort of the initial sort of. Uh, sometimes when I just read verses, it's like if you go on vacation and you just land and get off. You know, so like you've been in here all winter and you go down to the Caribbean and you get off and you're struck by the awesomeness of the sunlight and the power of the warmth and the different fauna and foliage that you don't get to see all the time. And, the diff- and you're just sort of blown away by it. You know, that's that's sort of like where I am right now with these verses. You know what I mean? And then we want to have the... You want to mean what it, what, see what it's like to really vacation there, so to speak, to take a vacation from yourself and your worries and your troubles, to really just sort of get soaked in the in the power of God. To keep, you know, all these great verses that talk to us about what He's doing. You know, so all right. So, Jonathan, will you please close in prayer for us? Father, we thank you that you are powerful and all knowing and the Creator of everything, and we just 
Thank you so much that our salvation doesn't depend on our actions and us continuing to, to be saved and persevere doesn't depend on us either, Lord. We we need you to not only save us, but to keep us through to the end, Lord. And without you doing that, we would have no hope at all for, for salvation or for what's to come. And we just thank you so much that you loved us before the foundation of the world, that you had predestined all of these things to happen, that you sent your son. You didn't hold them back, so therefore so that there will be nothing else that you will hold back for us, Lord. And we just thank you that everything we have is because of you. Everything we go through is because of you. And we thank you for, for both ends of those things. We pray that this service we honor and glorify the name of your Son, that we worship you in spirit and truth, and that it's a pleasing aroma to you, Lord. And bless the word and bless uh, everything else throughout the rest of this day. Amen. Amen.